0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview series with New York City-based jazz guitarist, composer, and educator Ronnie Ben-Hur. We talked to him about his new 2023 CD, Love Letters, Surviving COVID, and his long life in music. Born in Israel, he has earned a sterling reputation as a musician and educator, renowned for his golden tone, improvisational brilliance, compositional lyricism, and ability to charm peers, students, and listeners alike. He's got great stories, great anecdotes. Enjoy this interview.
1: Well, hey man, it's great to meet you. And before we get into your latest album and your body of work and, and your history in music, I'd like to know how you survived COVID. That did its own little thing on all of us, especially the jazz community. How did you get through it? And how has it changed the way that you do things now?
2: Well, it, it was re- very disruptive. And I think one of the blessings in this situation was that we didn't know how long it was gonna be. So I remember I came back from a tour at the end of February and I had many uh, trips planned and then the world stopped. And I kept thinking, okay, well, you know, by May, so the May stuff will happen. And then so well, I guess by August and then by October. And it kept, you know, creeping up and lasting longer. I think if, if I had known from the beginning that it would have been like pretty much three years, it would have been much harder. So that was one thing. And then, uh, Once the vaccine came, so in 2021, in May of 2021, I started traveling again. And the first place I went to was Israel, where my family is from. And over there, they started the vaccination earlier than us. So they were already fully vaccinated by February. So when I arrived in May 2021, everything was open. And I was doing shows and eating with people and hugging people. And we were all vaccinated. And we thought that was it. And then of course the strains start to pop up and I kept traveling. And in those days you had to get getting tested before you come back. So that was nerve wracking. but it was helpful that the world was half back. But during that period where nothing was going on, uh, you know, we, we had some support from organizations who supported artists. The unemployment was a lifesaver because we all stayed afloat and, uh, once a week we would get together outdoor and have a jam session and then when he got cold we would get well uh, indoor somewhere big you know a large room and would have uh sessions that keep us alive uh, I live not far from Central Park so I would meet friends in the park and we would have a picnic so we had a lot of social uh, uh, experiences that we don't have in our regular life we're also busy going here coming here and everybody's somewhere and when you back they leave and all of that so that was an opportunity that everybody was here so socially it was an interesting time but uh other than that it was a very lonely period yeah all of us were sort of isolated but in in new york city we weren't isolated as say we would be in suburbs yeah, yeah. for sure yeah and, and the other thing about it that was going on in, in during the first period it was very sad in new york New York was a very s- solemn city. You know, it was sirens going on all day, all night, nonstop. There were sirens. You would hear ambulances taking people to the hospitals. We would see those freezer trucks outside the hospital. You know, we would see field hospital in, in Central Park. And then that 7 p.m. thing style where people would, uh, go out in the windows and clap and, you know, pay tribute to the, uh, uh, health and emergency workers. That became like a social life for everybody to come out there were people performing you know so like in some buildings there was a routine one person knew they he was a singer so he would sing the other person was the uh, flute player from the philharmonic he would play a song you know? so it was a sense of community that was interesting that didn't exist before yeah and it gave us time to practice to to do things to write to get introverted you know but i think that we are all in a post traumatic stress syndrome, dealing with post traumatic stress syndrome and there's a lot that we don't remember on purpose yeah and i think that there's a lot of stuff that we kind of ignoring which is those long days. I remember those days. I, I mean, I'm just telling you that we try not to remember it. But if I look back, where you say, okay, it's six in the evening. What do I do? I bet I'll make dinner. Wow. Okay, it's seven in the evening. What do I do now?
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. And that's the reason why people say it was a blur. Like all the timelines get blurred together. It's a part of that kind of a thing. So it has to feel good to have a new album come out. Love, Love Letters is the latest yeah. album. It, it, talk to me a little bit about how this album was put together.
2: Uh, uh, the, uh, Jerry uh, Roach from uh, uh, Mighty Queen Records, he wanted me to do an album in that vein. I did an album for him before for that time, Stories. That was my previous album. And uh, we talked about having this pianoless quartet. Uh, So that was the the initial idea, but it's something that I always enjoyed doing. I really like, love comping. I love comping for instrumentalists and vocalists. I love that exchange. you know, I love this idea of being open to other people's ideas and and fitting into that and dancing together. So that was the seed of the idea. And and, uh, uh, Ingrid Jensen, the trumpet player on the album, she played on my previous album, Stories. So that's how that started that relationship. You know, we, I loved playing with her. We really enjoyed having a a musical conversations. And, uh, so we had this idea since 2021, I think. And, uh, and it was just about like, okay, it's time. We are ready to put an album. Can we put it together? And I had some songs that were brewing in my head for a while. So it all came to fruition kind of organically but with those seed planted a while ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a kind of group that I really enjoy. Yeah. You know, quartet or without piano. Not that I
1: don't like piano. I love pianos. Absolutely. So what are you hoping the listener gets from this album?
2: Well, I think that uh, what I hope all the time a listener will get from what they listen is a joy, you know, that the beauty of the music suits them and, and puts them in another place. Uh, <clears throat> so first on an emotional level, just as you wish with art, but also make them uh, think or, you know, be exposed to different things. And But uh, if I say what we put into this music, which I hope comes out, is kind of love and camaraderie and uh, the desire to make beauty together. Uh, yeah. N- none of us was trying to uh, showboat or uh, make a statement for themselves. It was really a collaborative thing. So I hope that comes out in the album.
1: So this journey in jazz, talk to me about where it began. Where were you born and raised, early influences? How did this take flight?
2: Mm. Well, I was born in a little town called Dimona in Israel. It's in the south part of Israel in the desert, the Negev Desert. My family uh, left Tunisia in 1955. And I'm the youngest of seven kids. So when they arrived in Israel, everything was barren. And that town was really just in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of nowhere, outside of our palmland were the hills of the desert. So over there, we were pretty isolated. And the main thing for everybody was to survive. So have enough food on the table, do your homework, you know, stay safe. But music always spoke to me. I mean, there was always music at home. Everybody in my family loved music. My my parents would listen to uh, uh, Middle Eastern music. Since, you know, that's how what they come from. That's what we are. So I would listen to famous Egyptian artists and people like that. And and uh, But the radio was always on. And then at uh, age 11, I think he was, uh, my brother decided that I should have... Uh, uh, music lessons. He was my, he is my oldest brother. There's 17 years between us. We're seven in the family. Yeah. I'm the youngest, he's the oldest. So he was like a parent to me. My parents, you know, they, they spoke Arabic, Tunisian. So when, and my father spoke some Hebrew, and my mom had to learn, and she spoke Arabic and, and French. She had to learn Hebrew when she arrived in Israel. And so you look at an immigrant family, say, in here in the U.S., where English is not their language, so my older siblings were the ones who would read the letters, who would look at the school stuff, and he kind of took on the responsibility of guarding our education. You know, excuse me. So one day I came home, and they brought a guitar for me. You know, just like you know, simple guitar from the next town, from the city, because we know we know we didn't have a music store there, and that's how the journey began. And I think that in in honesty it wasn't a choice that i made it was sort of like made for me from the the, the world you know because everything converged. when i first played the guitar i wanted to play beatles songs and leonard corinne songs i loved that you know when i was 11 12 13 you know then i got into led zeppelin and pink floyd and then when i was uh, in uh, 16 I moved to another town in the center of Israel. It's a a university town named Rehovot. And one of my friends in high school lived in the U.S. His father was an economic professor. So they spent a couple of years in Maryland. So he was exposed to jazz. And he turned me on to jazz. He turned me on to Weather Report, but also to Thad Jones and Mel Lewis. And then another friend that I knew told me about this great, guitar player in Israel that was teaching. He was sort of like a Wes Montgomery uh, kind of a bag and, and I started studying with him. And he told me about Wes and Joe Pass. And then I discovered Jim Hall and Grand Green. And from then on, I, it just got expanded. The people I knew kept telling me about something else. And uh, some then somebody told me about New York and Barry Harris, you know, he had a school called Jazz Concert Theater. So I started saving my money. And when I was 22, I came to New York to study with him. Oh, and wow. from then on, it was just like, that's it.
1: Excellent. Yeah. So what was the first live jazz show you ever saw that blew you away?
2: Well, the uh, you know, I used to go uh, when we were in like 12th grade. We used to go to Tel Aviv. We would hitchhike to Tel Aviv and see a show the local musicians and they were nice you know at that time you know israel became a sort of a powerhouse for jazz in the last 20 years but in those days it, it was just nice good players most of them were doing other stuff than jazz and then uh uh i think it was maybe 81 or something like that there was a festival in israel and chi korea came and herbie hancock came and Larry uh, Coryell came and uh, uh, a lot of different people came. That was the first time I heard live jazz on that level, you know, and it was really wild to see that. Uh, but, I mean, blown, blown away is when I came to New York, you know, and I saw somebody like Barry Harris plays so close to You just sit right next to them and to meet all these people and, and hang out with them, and then they'll go on stage and play like there's no tomorrow. So the, really the blown away part happened when I arrived in New York. So, talk to me a little bit about
1: what you like the best about this journey of being a musician. What is it that you look forward to the
2: most? Mm. Well, the, the the experience of playing music is wonderful. The experience of making uh, beauty through to sounds with other people is, is really magnificent. That, that camaraderie that exists, this kind of interaction, the... Uh, you know, the, the the thing about making great music is that the thing that you are busiest doing is giving and listening, not doing and taking, you know. And it's a great place to be in and then to experience what comes off of it. I love meeting people. It's, it's a wonderful way to meet people all over the world where you go. It's some kind of way because you play music, people open up to you. People become generous to you. People want you to come and have sit at their table or they want to take you somewhere to see some great food or something like that. So it's a wonderful bridge builder. I love how you can be with people that don't speak your language, that you can't communicate at all with any kind of means, but musically you communicate beautifully. You know, you somebody you never met before, and you play with them, whether it's a gig or just a session, and then this thing happens, you know. I love that. I I love how music can prove to the world that we are one, one, you know, species, that we belong to each other, that we have love for each other, and we can be with each other no matter what we look like, where we come from, you know. is Really beautiful way to do that, you know. I also teach a lot and and it's and it's beautiful to see how people's egos come down when they deal with music how the music distracts them and then the idea of pursuing better music better art more beauty whatever it is you you are after as far as playing music becomes the goal of everyone and they forget about themselves you know whether they're adults or kids you know? it's, it's magic and also what i saw Many times music do to people who are who have already dementia you know or who have grown old that they can't really do much but when they play music they come back to being this young person you know
1: Yeah for sure So of all of the years and musicians and veterans you've been around what do you take from those experiences and ultimately want to give to the, your students what do you want to give to them
2: uh, Well I I I want to share with them, you know, the, the the idea that this path of pursuing excellence in music is a, a path that never ends, and that if you stay open, you'll always discover wonderful things and great ideas, and that, uh, you know, we are part of a thing. We are not the thing, and what I saw in all the great musicians that have been around is that what matters to them first is how everybody else sounds with them. So the idea of that you're not putting yourself first—it's a—it's a, a great, great place to be emotionally uh, and, and with the mentality. So to share that with them and and let them have that experience where they can do that with other people. Uh, I think that uh, it's—I I look forward to growing old with music, and I try to let my students feel it. I have many adult students, you know, I, I run those jazz camps where people come and go away for a week in sort of vacation and studying jazz. So these are adult people and to grow old with music is a wonderful thing. So I, I, I like to show them that. And also it's, it can be a painful journey because music is very honest. So when you play, If you can't do it, or if it's over your head, or if you are a little nervous, it comes right out. So it can be very disappointing. But to show them that really music loves you, and it's just the process. So feeling inadequate doesn't mean that's not what you're supposed to do. I think that's something that is very important for people to remember. A lot of times you get discouraged. You say, well, maybe I don't have the talent. And I want to tell people, if you chose to study music, That means you have the talent, the talent of loving music, that you have the love of music, which I think is a great blessing for somebody to have.
1: Yeah. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, students, but you're the one that's in control of your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think
2: you are? (laughs) (laughs) None of your business. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's right. trying to find out you know i'm trying to find out you know I, I i try not to worry about that too much like who i think i am you know i just try to be i, I recognize that uh you know it's the same thing where you listen to, If you remember i think you're old enough to remember answering machines and you you listen to yourself on the answering machine and says i don't sound like that the way we hear ourselves is not really how people hear us or see us at so I know that sometimes I have to uh, match that up, you know, uh, but I don't really think about it too much. You know, I, I, I know that I want to play music for the rest of my life. And I love to share it with people, whether I'm performing or teaching, and I hope to always be humble enough that I don't get ahead of myself. Uh, but uh, I think that in general, how I see myself is, is that I, I was born to do something without even realizing it. And that I'm, I'm very, very lucky to, to do that. And, and I'm very grateful for that. And I just want to always remember that I'm very lucky and I have to be very grateful. So if, anyone- often, if I want to do something, I do it. So if you say my perception, myself, I have to remind myself, if it's something I want, I can do it. Yeah. So do it or not, it's up to me.
1: Absolutely. So if anyone wants to pick up Love Letters, learn more about any live shows, anything about your world, where can they go?
2: Well, com is a source, you know, uh, follow me on Instagram or Facebook. I think it's, a, it's the best way because that's current. Uh, Love Letter is available everywhere that albums are available now. But, you know, you go online to buy the hard copy or you the streaming, all the streaming devices have it, you know, all the streaming services have it. And uh, as far as stores, where are the stores of the albums? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like us like a, like an old fashioned in the old days, a great espresso shop. I don't know, you know, in New York you couldn't find it. Oh, there was one 20 blocks from here. A uh, record store became like that. So I'm not sure it's there, because I think a lot of times they deal with either older stuff, but it's pretty much available if you want to.
1: Excellent. Ronnie, this has been great. Thank you so much for opening Thank up. Thanks for the music. Best of luck with everything.
2: Me
0: too. Thanks for sharing. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Israel, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ronnie for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, you can subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: Beyond jazz.